We want to welcome all of our listeners to another episode of Minority Report with Eric and Carell. Each episode, we talk with leaders in business, tech, and media. And today, joining us is Stephanie Gino, who is a Senior Vice President of Marketing at Innovid. Let's jump in and get to know Stephanie. Stephanie, welcome. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you today? Excellent. Excellent. And we're thrilled you're hanging out with us for a little bit today. Stephanie, tell us a little bit about what you're doing for work these days. Yeah. So I, as you mentioned, I'm the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Innovid. We are a, a global advertising and analytics platform, which has deep roots in all things video and streaming. So these days, we've, we've really been riding the wave of innovation that's happening as it relates to the, the transformation of TV advertising. I oversee all aspects of marketing globally. So everything from PR to content, demand gen, commercialization, you name it, I've been touching it. So we've been very, very busy for the last couple months here. Yeah, I can't wait to hear more about that. And you have tremendous background We'll circle back to some more of your career path, but can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Where were you born and raised? Yeah, so I was was born in New Jersey, actually born in a, a little city called Marlton. Yeah, as you hear, I'll give me the, the hands up in the air. So I was born in <laughs> Jersey, but I did move to Florida when I was quite young. So all of my memories of growing up as a, as a child were in the Tampa Bay area of Florida. So grew up with sunshine and beaches, right? Didn't have a winter cat, didn't have winter gloves, no snow. I think I was 15 or 16 years old the first time I ever saw snow, but uh, no, it was... It was great and you know really grew up in Florida stayed down there for school so I am an alumni of the University of Florida go Gators and decided to leave Florida when I graduated from school so I always knew that I wanted to be in advertising I got my undergrads in advertising had my portfolio graduated with high honors I had a collegiate echo and decided I'm gonna go to Chicago and break into mm. advertising and, you know, eventually made my way there three years later, but it definitely was not as easy as I thought it was going to be. How exciting, you know, growing up in Florida and how do you think that impacted, you know, you and growing up, like how did all that sort of impact and influence you growing up? Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I get a lot of questions from people like, what was it like to grow up in Florida? And I'm kind of like, I don't know, what was it like to grow up in, in Illinois or in New York? Because it's all I knew. I will say there's just certain little things that I think are instinctual based on where you are. Like, you know, I've been swimming since I was an infant because it's a safety issue, right? Like, there's just certain things where it's like when you're by the water all the time, you need to learn how to swim. You know, my conversational Spanish when I was 18 years old was phenomenal because I lived in a very diverse and multicultural community, mm-hmm. tons of Cubans in my, in my neighborhood. And it was just kind of a known that you didn't always expect people to come to you and everyone to speak English if you really wanted to get out there and interact with the community in a meaningful way way, you needed to take some of the onus on yourself to learn some Spanish. So I'd say that those are, are two big things. But, you know, it's also I've got thin blood, I think, because I grew up in Florida. So I will tell you the transition from Florida to Chicago. I don't know if you all have spent any time there, but those winters are brutal. That was a little bit rough. That was a little bit rough. Yeah, I can only imagine. About your family. Tell us a little bit about your, your family background and some of your family members. Yes. You know, I've got a smaller immediate family, mom and dad and my sister. They're all still down in Florida. My father worked in insurance. So he was actually an executive in the insurance space, which was amazing. And that 
you know, I think oftentimes when I think about this podcast, it's it's minority report, you know, there's not a ton of black or African American individuals that reach that executive rank. And so my father was a vice president. So I had an excellent role model in him. And my mother, you know, growing up, she was a registered nurse. So she was in the healthcare industry. And when we moved to Florida, then moved more into education. So she actually worked at the library in the community college near us. So it was great in that I had this, this amazing role, role model and an executive and my father. And then I had, uh, you know, a great passionate nurturer and my mother where, you know, I remember after school just going to the library and being able to hang out with my mom and do homework and research and get mm-hmm. online and just take advantage of everything that was there because it was a, a college. Mm-hmm. A college campus, and I was, you know, middle school, high school kid at the time. You knew you always wanted to go into advertising. I did. You moved into Chicago. How'd that start? How'd you get started on your career path? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I will say what I've learned over the years is that advertising is such a relationship oriented industry. You know, again, I, I I went to school. I got my degree. It was a very focused degree. I I would consider myself to be more of a performance marketer. And you know, at the time, I was the first graduating class for a direct response advertising degree at the University mm. of Florida. So really specific. Yeah. You know, had great recommendations. Did the collegiate echo thing. I thought it was going to be easy and. What I saw was that because I didn't actually know people, I was going through that standard process of you find a job posting, submit your resume, and wait for the call where you can get in front of someone and wow them. But that call never came. So I actually, my first corporate job was in human resources. And I got that introduction through a friend. And it wasn't until a colleague that I had worked with in human resources moved over to work in human resources at an advertising agency. She was the person who gave me my first foot in the door and said, Hey, I've got this amazing opportunity. You know, we're looking for someone who wants to work in the advertising industry, who can come in and support our sales team, and then eventually move into an individual seller role. And I was recruiting at the time. So she said, do you you know anyone who's interested? And I said, yeah, me. And I raised my hand and, and she said, you know, I was hoping you would say that. (laughs) <laughs> you know, put me in front of a gentleman named Nick, who to this day, I will never forget. He's been so influential on my career. We met, hit it off, probably talked for a good hour and a half. They made me an offer that day and I started two weeks later. And that was the start of my foray into advertising. Cool. And it's interesting because I, I, I honestly think if I hadn't put myself out there, if she'd asked me that question and I said, you know what, I got a couple resumes here that could be interesting for you. And I just handed them over. I might not have ever had that opportunity. And Mm -hmm. I I think it just goes to show that people are often looking for hand raisers Mm -hmm. and people want to know that you want it. They don't want to ask you sometimes. And so, you know, even the job I'm in right now, like they didn't approach me for this job. I've been working at Innovid for several months and this opening was available. And, you know, I went to Bethy Anison, who was our president at the time and our CEO, and I said, Listen, I know that I may not fit within the traditional box of what you're looking for, but I know I can do this job and I think you should give me a shot at it. And that's what opened up the conversation and led me to where I am today. Wow, that's cool. I had that same chat with Beth Ann. So shouts to Beth Ann Eason if you're yeah. listening. So. <laughs> I love you, Beth Ann. Stephanie, <laughs> yeah. I think one of the important lessons you're you're talking about there is is when you see an opening, you have to go for it, right? You can't 
always sit back and wait for someone to bring something to you. If you want to advance your career, you got to take those steps forward. A hundred percent. And I think it's so interesting because I recently had a, a, a role on my team open up to elevate someone. And I had people in mind that I was like, I really want this person to raise their hand, but I wasn't going to tell them to do it. I was going to say, here's an opportunity. And I wanted to see who rose to the occasion and who said, Hey, not only can I do this, but I want to do it. And I'm telling you that I'm the right person for the job. I think sometimes that it's that little bit of extra effort that shows what you're going to do if you actually get into the role itself. Mm -hmm. Now, you and I have uh, pretty similar roles, B2B marketers uh, in the ad tech, martech space. Curious to know from you, what do you love about what you do today? I will say working in technology, it is just the pace of change is furious. Yeah, but it's exciting. You know, I'm a very results oriented person. I like to get my hands dirty when things are changing, when new technology, when new innovation is coming up. I want to dive right in. I want to learn it. I want to own it. I want to master it. But then I'll be honest, I get bored. And so if it's the same thing over and over and over again, it loses the excitement. And so what I love about this industry and what I love about this space is that change is constant, innovation is constant, and there's always something to learn. There's always a growth opportunity and a growth path in front of you. And it it never gets boring. It never gets old. Yeah. And speaking of change, 2020 has been a year like no other in so many different ways. Marketing in the B2B space, obviously a part of that. Curious to learn from you or understand from you, what have you learned this year about you know 2020 and marketing this year that you'll carry moving forward as a marketer? Yeah, man. 2020 has been such an interesting year in so many ways. I would say as a marketer, it's planning for the unpredictable and creating flexibility in how you think and how you operate on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I think that 2020 is forever going to change the way that we as an industry approach media planning and buying. Right, The days of, we're going to plan 12 months out, things are set, and they're just going to run. I think those days are over. We're already seeing you know, brands who used to have six-month planning cycles condensing that down to three. And that holds true to, to the way that I think about my business and my portfolio as well. So it's how do we do more with less, right? A lot of companies in this space, when the economy tanked and when everything happened, saw significant budget cuts. You know, I had to cut my budget as well. But that doesn't mean that I don't still have goals. I don't still have metrics that I need to hit on. So it becomes a matter of, okay, how do I do enterprise activations on startup budgets? And how do I, how do I think about doing more with less and being agile and being scrappy and being flexible so I can continue to make progress and see success and see wins in this crazy environment that we're in? Yeah, I also think too, it certainly has brought to the forefront what's most important for marketing, right? You, you mentioned earlier about being a performance marketer and... Mm-hmm. That's definitely, obviously, one of the the key ingredients to to marketing. And I think it's been magnified that much more in this environment. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. yeah. So staying on, on the topic of 2020, obviously, with everything going on here in our country, diversity, equity, and inclusion has been, has come to the forefront even more so than it has in years past. And 
curious to understand from you, Stephanie, what is the state of diversity, equity, and inclusion in our space? And, and what do you think we can be doing to improve it? Yeah, you know, I, I have a lot of catchphrases that my team likes to make fun of me for, but one of them is progress, not perfection. And, and I will say, I think that progress has taken place, but we're far from perfect, mm-hmm. right? You know, I will say, I think one of the most promising things that's come out of 2020 is that it's forcing everybody in this industry to have a conversation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And whether you were a company that had good foundations and good principles in place, and you're just refreshing that, or if you're someone who wasn't even thinking about it at all, it's a conversation that you have to have right now. I will tell you, you know, we're in the technology space. Every RFI, every RFP, every proposal we've gotten within the last three months is specifically asking us what is our policy and what is our commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Wow. Which is fantastic. So, you know, props to the brands that are are forcing that conversation and holding their partners accountable. But, you know, I think we still have a long way to go. I feel like representation is a huge topic in this space and when we think about that through the lens of marketing, there's two really obvious angles there, right? One is representation in terms of our teams. Mm-hmm. You know, what do our teams look like? You know, do we have diverse talent? Do we have diverse people? And and I'll say one of the things that I'm most proud about during my tenure at Innovid is in the two plus years since I've been running marketing, I've been able to grow the team and bring in a really diverse group of individuals that represent tons of geographies, tons of ethnicities, and tons of perspectives. So my team is nearly two-thirds people of color. My team is nearly three-quarters women. So you know we've got all of these different people that are bringing those perspectives to the table to shape the programs that we're putting in market. And I really encourage other marketers across every organization to make sure that you're bringing those perspectives and you're bringing that thinking to the table. But I also think if we look at the cumulative impact and power we as marketers have on the industry and on on the community as a whole, it's important that we think about representation as it relates to who we're putting in the content that we're putting in market through the ads, through social media, through video, through everything that we're putting in in market. And are the individuals, are the talents that we're showcasing representative of the actual community at large? Right. And, and, And again, I think we've come a long way there, but there's always room for improvement. And, you know, people come in, you know, black people, brown people, we come in all different shapes, we come in all different sizes. And there's still a little bit of a kind of one size fits all approach to how we're being represented in market. And I think that there's some room for improvement there. And then I would also just say, I think it's about community. So we control our teams and we control the content that we put out there. But I also think that we need to make sure that we're looking at representation as it relates to thought leadership and what we're putting out into the the community and the industry, right? I program a lot of content at Innovid. And anytime I'm programming a panel, I'm thinking, do I have people of color on this panel? Do I have women on this panel? Am I including diverse, diverse thinking and diverse perspectives? And I think it's important that we continue to reinforce and showcase what's important to us in every single touch point, whether that be internal in the advertising industry or in what we're putting out in the community at large to continue to reinforce the importance of diverse thinking and diverse perspectives and diverse talent. Stephanie, you mentioned perspectives and bringing things to the table. 
And sometimes those things that you bring to the table are, you know, actually handling issues of discrimination and actually a perspective and an understanding of, of going through things like that. Yeah. Can you talk to us a little bit about when you've encountered that? What was it like and how did you handle that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think unfortunately it is almost unavoidable these days to be a Black woman in corporate America and not have faced some form of discrimination throughout your career. And there's a lot of different degrees of what that can look like or feel like. You know, I will say on a positive note, most often it is not hostile or aggressive, right? You know, For me personally, there have been issues of not having access to opportunities, right? People don't proactively come to me. I have to raise my hand. I have to create that path for myself. Clearly, we still are in an environment where females and especially women of color are not being compensated fairly. So there's the compensation bias. I will say when I was on the agency side, there's even little things that people may, may not perceive as discrimination that can have an impact on the receiver. So something as simple as if I'm in a meeting with a ton of, of colleagues and there's an assumption that I'm going to handle the administrative tasks, I'm going to be the secretary just because I am a female or because I am a minority. When I was on the agency side, I was the accountant. So I oversaw planning, activation, comms, from start to finish for either a single brand or a portfolio of brands. Yet every time I walked into a room with new stakeholders, there was an assumption that I was there as a multicultural stakeholder because I couldn't possibly be there to represent a total market strategy and a total market approach. And I think in those little instances, it's really just about continuing to reinforce who you are, what you stand for, you know, not just taking the easier out and saying, sure, I'm happy to be the note keeper, but saying, you know what, why don't we pass this responsibility around? Or, you know, in the moment, if someone assigns something to me, just saying, you know what, I actually think this would be more appropriate for for so-and-so. And really just standing your ground and being true to yourself. I will say, I think as of late, discrimination has gotten significantly worse, both in our community and in the workplace. You know, my Asian American friends are constantly talking about their kids being bullied at school. Mm. I had, and just, just last week, so I was hosting a thought leadership live Q&A session with an executive. So this was seven days ago. Mm. And I had a Zoom bomb take over my broadcast and start, and there were 309, 309 racist comments being thrown at me in a live Q&A chat box where they were calling me the N-word repeatedly. They were telling me to kill myself and really just tried to hijack the conversation simply because I had the audacity of being a Black woman uh, leading this programming. And that is a very extreme example, but it's a very recent one and a very Mm -hmm. relevant one. Absolutely. And You know, for me, when I think about how do I respond and how do I react in those kinds of situations, the people who are doing that want a reaction. Those people wanted to break me down. They wanted to make me look bad. They wanted to throw me off my game and they wanted to break my spirit. And and I wasn't going to give them the pleasure of doing that. So, you know, in that scenario, I completely ignored it. I, you know, texted my team on the side and I said, figure out who these people are and kick them out. And, you know, it was a focused effort. There were multiple of them, but I just kept my cool and I didn't let them phase me because I'm not going to let them win when they are trying to do something that is so disrespectful and so distracting. So, you know, I think it just goes back to 
knowing who you are, knowing your self worth. Mm-hmm. You know, I talk a lot about, you know, matching your confidence with your confidence. And I think if you know what you're talking about and you feel confident in what you're talking about, then it becomes really hard for people to come in and disrupt your flow if you feel good and you feel confident in yourself. That's tremendous. You know, it's interesting. Nothing probably really prepares you for something like that. But I, you know, Carol and I talk with a lot of, of folks and our own experiences as other experiences that sometimes prepare you for difficult moments, right? And so thank you for sharing that personal experience with us in the audience. Sometimes some folks can be helpful, though, along the way in our career. Can you talk a little bit about some mentors or some folks that have been helpful to you in your career and then also in your personal life as well? Yeah. So, you know, from a career perspective, there's there's probably two people that stand out. And the first is the the person I mentioned earlier, uh, Nick, who gave me my first shot at advertising. And, you know, I think it's important, you know, we often talk about there's not a lot of black and brown faces and in, in advertising. And so it's it's hard sometimes when you don't see anyone that looks like you to feel confident and be able to break through. And I, I 100% absolutely think that's true. But I'd also say that there's a lot of really amazing allies that are out there that can see beyond that and are really looking at you as a human and your talent and your capacity and what you can do. And Nick was really that person for me. Not only did he give me my first opportunity to get into the advertising world, but I started out in more of an administrative role, right? I was supporting the sales team. And, you know, it quickly turned into me doing all of their pitch decks and teaching them how to pitch and doing all of their RFPs and basically taking on the role of selling without actually being in the field. And I remember Nick being like, Hey, you know, I just, I think you should just be a seller. Let's move you into an AE role. And this goes back to the confidence piece because I was very young back then. I didn't have the confidence I have now. And I remember telling him, you know, I don't think I'm ready yet. And let's revisit it in, you know, six to 12 months, because I think I still have more to grow. And, you know, he just looked at me and was like, I don't accept that you are ready, you are capable and you can do this now. And he pushed me outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, I was very successful in sales. So I think sometimes it's just that understanding who are those individuals that see the potential in you and are willing to invest in you and nurture and grow you and making sure that you maintain those relationships. The second person, and we were, we were talking earlier about Bethann Eason, someone we've, we've both worked with in the past. Bethann is another one who she is a very, very successful woman in her own right, you know, was the president at Innovid and has done so much to give back to the community. She really does practice what she preaches as it relates to nurturing, giving back and making sure that she is accessible and approachable and that these young women who are coming up in this industry and are looking for guidance and looking for a role model, know that she's a friendly ear that they can always turn to for help. So she's actually the reason I'm at Innovid. And, you know, it's funny, I I started at Innovid and I was in a sales role. I was in more of a strategic sales role. And, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I kind of raised my hand and said, Hey, I'm a marketer at heart. I've been doing marketing my entire career. And I, I think you should take a chance on me. And she's the one who actually supported my transition into my current capacity as a global marketing lead. So people who who see the potential and are willing to make a bet ahead of of the past, I think are really critical. Awesome. Awesome. So global marketing lead, 
mom, wife, and more. How are you balancing it all? And is is there such thing as a balance? (laughs) (laughs) I will tell you, this is something that I've struggled with my entire career, if I'm being honest. But I I will say that I've had an epiphany since we've been in lockdown, which has really allowed me, you know, when you're in an environment where there is no clear delineation between work and home, you have to set boundaries. So, you know, we're all used to, okay, you leave the house. And even if it's a 10 minute commute, a 20 minute commute, 30 minute commute, there's some sort of transition in and out of your day. Without having that, the lines get really blurry. And there was a period of time where I was, you know, on calls at 7am every day, taking calls till late at night. And it was this kind of always on mentality and this always on approach to my day. And what I realized was, there's no need for this. I do have colleagues that I work with internationally. So working early hours is a necessity. But if I can create some parameters, this can still be successful and I can have a little bit more balance in my life. And so something as simple as saying, hey, Mondays and Wednesdays are going to be my early days. So guys, I'm willing to be online at 7am, 8am. I'm on at 8am every day, but I'm willing to be on before before 8am on these days to facilitate collaboration. What I found is that people are very receptive to that. And then they know, hey, Tuesdays and Thursdays, I can't take a call at 7am because that's my morning to spend with my son. That's my morning to get him ready, get him off to school. And you know, you can't expect other people to do that for you. But when you do it yourself and you communicate that so everybody understands what are the guardrails and what are the parameters you put in place, I think it can lead to a lot, uh, a lot more balance. And, and again, I haven't had anyone push back or be anything but respectful of those decisions. Curious to get your thoughts. I mean, we were talking before we started recording about travel and all of us used to travel a lot. You think yes. it's a lot. Do you think a lot? A lot. <laughs> you think it's going to be difficult to get back to that? Like, like once we get back to traveling again, I'm, and I have this question for myself. I'm just curious to to know, you know, how long it will take me personally to kind of get back in that mode again and get going again. So, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm dying to get on a plane. I was texting one of my girlfriends the other day. I was like, as soon as there's a vaccine, let's book a flight to Mexico and get out of here. But it's, as far as just the, the weekly routine of travel, you know, I think for me, I'm a very social creature. So I've always worked from home. I'm in Denver. So I have a home office, but I'm used to being in the field 50 plus percent of the time. And so I do miss that human interaction and I miss the social aspect of it. You know, honestly, I think what's going to be hardest for me is when I was traveling before, my little guy was too young to really have separation anxiety or realize that, hey, only mom is here, or only dad is here for two or three days since. Yeah. So I think that the hardest thing for me is now that my son is is verbal and walking and just having to deal with leaving him and him reacting to it, I, I think it's going to be hard. But I'm excited to be able to sleep in in a king size bed and and eat some amazing New York food <laughs> once I can. <laughs> uh, my my wife doesn't like, but I always say the best sleep I get is when I'm on the road. So, yep, <laughs> yeah, because otherwise at home, you know, we take turns with with the monitor duty, but you know, you're still automatically just waking up at six thirty in the morning and like, is he okay? Is everything all right? And, you know, uh, having a little bit of distance, I think allows you to to check out a little bit and 
turn off mom or dad mode and just just be a person mode again. Absolutely. Absolutely. Stephanie, what advice would you give to anyone that's entering the marketing field these days? Relationships, relationships, relationships. They are really what makes this industry go around. And I think it's it's about really figuring out who do you respond to, who you resonate with, right? When people are out there talking, if someone says something and you're feeling it, like figure out how to make a connection with them because ultimately without relationships, you're going to be hard pressed to, to get really far in this space. And, you know, I was on a panel, gosh, probably about a year ago now. And it dawned on me that every role I have taken since I've graduated from college has been through some sort of a relationship. Now, I've gotten job offers the traditional way, but every job that I've actually taken has been through someone is like, oh, we're looking for this type of person and I get recommended and you know, let's grab a coffee, let's grab a drink, let's grab a dinner. I mean, that's, that's where the real business happens, which is why it's so hard now that we don't have live events and we can't network in person because that is so critical. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things progress now that we are moving to more of a virtual environment. But I would just say the, the strength of relationships, this is a big industry, but it's a small industry. Everybody knows everybody. And, you know, if you want to get to the top of that several hundred applicant pile, you need someone who can point to your name and say, you know, you really need to take a look at this person. Otherwise, it's really easy to get lost. Yeah. Awesome point. Awesome point. All right. A fun question that I love to ask every guest that we have on the podcast, which is give us your top three apps that you use on your phone, but you cannot name email, calendar, or text messaging. Okay. So the news, even though it raises my blood pressure every time I look at it these days, I I do think it's important to stay informed. So I'm I'm constantly reading the news. Nextdoor is an app that I've been using a lot more lately. And I know there's a lot of negative sentiment around it. But I will say there's a lot of good in that app. Mm -hmm. Right? There's a lot of people who need help or offering help. And it really is about your community. So if you can filter out the noise, there's a lot of good and a lot of good people being done on that app. And then the last one I would say is probably, and I do not know how to pronounce it, but it's Kennedy, I believe, K-I-N-E-D-U. It is an app I started using when we were in lockdown that has developmentally appropriate activities for children. So it basically gives you videos and activities and lesson plans. So when you don't have the benefit of a professional to tell you what you should be doing to help uh, develop your child, it's really great at making it dummy proof to make sure that your kids are progressing and checking all their milestones. So that's a good one that we used in lockdown and continued to, to use on weekends. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Stephanie, we're so happy you spent some time with us. A lot of our listeners like to stay in touch or follow you. What are some great ways that they can follow you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. It's just Stephanie Gino, G-E-N-O. I'm also on Twitter at Stephanie Gino 3. Those are the two best places to find me. Awesome. Thanks again for joining us. And everyone, thanks thanks for... for, uh, Yeah, absolutely. Everyone, thanks for uh, listening. And you can find more of Minority Report Podcast wherever you find all of your audio and video. Just search Minority Report Podcast and look for the logo. Thanks. Thanks.